So I want you to bring, bring you up to speed in Mark chapter 6. We're going into Mark chapter 6 this week. I'm going to be speaking or reading through the story on feeding the 5,000. But it's kind of like, I know people, who watches series? Who, who's ever watched a series in your life? Put your hand up. Who's watched some for, you know, you're not in trouble. You're not in trouble. Someone went, oh, you're not in trouble. <laughs> but sometimes when we read through scripture, we can find a part and we can read it quite isolated. And it can become this one story and we haven't actually remembered what else has happened. So I thought, I just want to bring you up to speed with where we are in Mark chapter 6. So what's happened up to this point, and I'll tell you exactly where you are, is Jesus has been baptized. He's gone into the desert. He's faced the devil. And there's one thing you've got to do is go and read about Jesus tying up the strong man. That's, that's what he did. The first thing he did, right, is he went and he plundered the, dev- the devil's house. He tied up the strong man. So that when he carried on doing what he was doing, he's slowly but surely getting rid of the devil and his work. He's called the disciples. He's preached the Sermon on the Mount. He's spoken about the kingdom parables. You know, the kingdom of heaven is like pearls, a treasure, a net, etc. He's already spoken about that. He's healed the blind. He's driven out demons. He's raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He's healed a woman with the issue of blood and performed so many other miracles. He's calmed the storm from the boat. And now we find ourselves here where Jesus is about to do a miracle that doesn't look like any other miracle he's done before. It's extravagant, but it's not flamboyant. No one's going to be running around going crazy. It's happening in a place of calmness. And it's the only miracle that Jesus does that is presented in all four Gospels. There are other parts of the story, like his baptism and his crucifixion, mentioned in all four. But this is the only miracle that Jesus does. I'm open to correction if I get that wrong that is mentioned in all four Gospels. That means it's very significant, right? It means that it's very memorable. And the emphasis as we read this that Mark is trying to make are the things that Jesus did. Mark, in his whole Gospel, really emphasizes what did Jesus do. And you have to ask yourself the question, why is that the emphasis? Are we meant to do the same things? Yeah, we are. I, I believe we are. But are we also meant to see Jesus' response to people? How does Jesus respond to those who interact with him, including his disciples? Because I sometimes believe that's how he would interact with us. And he would like to interact with you and me this morning. So before we read Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44, keep that in mind. Jesus wants to interact with you this morning. He wants to speak to you. I've, I've got that same expectation. Even though I'm speaking, I feel like, God, my ear is open to hear what you have in your heart for me. Because he has a word for everyone. Just like this day, everyone was fed. Today, everyone can be fed. Amen? Amen. So let's read it through together, and then we'll make some, some points. So from verse 30, I think this is in the NIV. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Say quiet place. Say, get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran out on foot from all the towns and got ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them. Say compassion. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, 
and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, this is important. How do you read Jesus' tone in verse 37? But he answered, you give them something to eat. How do you read him saying that? Is he commanding? Is he, is, he being, whoops, is he being harsh? Is he saying, you're not seeing what I'm seeing. You give them something to eat, you know, with a frown on his face. You give them something to eat. Is he looking at them, knowing where they've just come from, the context of speaking and doing, and saying, looking at the 12 guys, you give them something to eat. Very different. You read that very differently, right? I used to read at him demanding, like almost correcting, but now I've started to read it, you give them something to eat. It's giving them an opportunity. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He said, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Say green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up into heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave it to, to them, to his disciples, to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. Say were satisfied. And his disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten that day were 5,000. So let's make one or two points, and then we'll go into communion. So firstly, the, the 12 disciples had come back from doing ministry. Jesus had sent them out, and they were arriving back saying, Jesus, we need to tell you what we spoke about. We need to tell you what happened. We were performing miracles, just like you were doing, we were doing as well. And they started speaking to him, and it says people were coming back and forth. And the important thing to remember is that the people were now not only recognizing Jesus, they were recognizing them as well. They were recognizing the disciples. And Jesus said, this is what you need to do, guys. I, I see it. Look, they, they know your faces. You're getting really busy. You know what you need to do? You need to come away with me to a quiet place. And you need to rest. And I think what he was not saying is put your laptop off, close your phone. It's time to have a holiday. That's not what he was saying. He was saying it's time to connect. So if you're taking notes for any reason to try and remember or you want to try and remember in your head, the first one is connection to try and remember in your head the f connection is the most important thing with Jesus that is why that is why we come together because if you look take a quick look around the room we don't get to do this often enough look around the room quick you have license to do it no one will think it's weird look around the room <laughs> while you're looking around the room you see a whole bunch of other people who have come to this very place not, not most importantly to see you not most importantly to sing songs but to connect with Jesus never forget that's why you come here you want to connect with him with others who want to connect with him. And then we go from this place to connect others who have not yet connected with him. It's so important. And how is this? this is, I've always had this frame of thought in my mind, and I, I'm, I've probably heard it somewhere. But God has always been intending to connect with us. Right in the garden, in Genesis 3, he walked with them in the cool of the day. And then everything went wrong. If you don't know that story, it's a horrible one. But that connection was broken. Then in Exodus 36, they build the tabernacle. 
God says, I know everything's gone wrong, but I still want to be with you. I want to be with you. So build a tent. I'll come live in the tent because I want my presence to be as close to you as possible. And then in 2 Chronicles, Solomon builds the temple. David gets it ready, but Solomon finishes the temple. We're going to make you something, Lord, that's going to look better than anything. God says, great. I'm not really concerned about the building, even though I'll tell you how to. But my main, my main concern is that I'm with you, is that I get to be with you because I made you. That's, that's how it is. Then the temple got destroyed. And then what did God do? He came in the flesh. Jesus came and walked on the earth. Isn't that something? Hey, like it just keeps getting better and better. Like it started great. Plan A was that God would walk with us in the cool of the day. And then we messed it up. So the tabernacle came and we messed it up. Then the temple came and we messed it up. Then God says, cool, I'll send Jesus. And what did we do to Jesus? We killed him. Yeah, that, that's, that's the reality. But the amazing thing is that was part of God's plan to finally house his presence in a temple that breathes, in a temple that not man has created, but that he's created. Look around the room. Say to the person next to you, you're the temple. <laughs> Connection is so important. A couple of weeks ago, I sat... I met with a, a man, and he, he started to tell his story. And for 29 years, he'd been facing this giant every single day. When he wakes up to the time he goes to sleep, he's been facing a giant that spoke something over him that paralyzed him for 29 years. And he came and he sat. And all he needed was a quiet place and a place to rest. You know that word rest actually doesn't mean to just not do anything and to watch a series <laughs> or read a book makes it sound like, or read a book. That place rest means to recover, refresh, and to gather strength. So he came and he sat on the couch and he closed his eyes. And all he wanted to do there was sit and talk to Jesus. So he did. He sit and he spoke to Jesus. And man, I, I just felt the weight of this giant, like, like he was in the room or it was in the room. And I just thought, right, Jesus, now's the time. Where's a pebble? I know the story. Where's a pebble? Just get a pebble. We'll put it in the sling and we'll throw it and we'll knock this thing out. That's, that's, how, that's how I get. I get like, let's get physical about this. And all of a sudden, God spoke a word straight into his heart. No violence. Nothing went out of the ordinary. I know that can happen, but it didn't go out of the ordinary. And he just spoke. And I just saw tears streaming down his face change into a smile. And he'd heard from God. And he said, 29 years of facing this thing, 29 years, 29 years, until I have happened to be in this room. And he said, he said these words, he says, I finally connected with the Father. I know who I am. And I know there's that, that saying that has almost become a bumper sticker. I know who I am and I know whose I am. 29 years, guys. 29 years. There's an incredible book called Living Fearlessly, written by Jamie Winship. And um, where's Tim? Tim, are you in the room? You are. Tim, there you are. He's at the back. Props to Tim. Tim, Tim sent me the book. An incredible book where he speaks about truth speaking. And Jamie Winship says that when truth comes into the room, you know when you meet the way, the truth, and the life, when you make space for Jesus to walk into your reality, when his truth enters your heart, it doesn't mean that you're without flaw. It means that you're in the transitional process, transformation process. It means he's transforming you. And you know why that's amazing? Because as he's transforming you and speaking to you, the author says that he wants to move you from a false self where perhaps you're believing lies 
Or perhaps you actually have a facade up in front of you because you know the way you want to be and how people perceive you. You move from the false self all the way to the real self where you start to notice that what you're believing isn't actually aligning with what has God said and what, who others perceive you is not what's going on in your heart. And he wants to still move you from there. He doesn't just want you to move from false to real. He wants you to move to your true self. And when you get to your true self, it's not about actually finding the job that you're supposed to be doing on earth. It's about God speaking to your inward parts and you finally know who has God made you to be. What's he put inside of you that will pour out in so many different areas? And maybe that's something we need to touch on this morning. If you're sitting in the room and you're like, I, I, need, I want to do this. Or I feel like God's told me to just do that or do this. And I want to say, no, no, God can put a gifting inside of you and he can pour it out through so many different avenues. Instead of saying, Lord, is it that or that? Say, Lord, which one, which, how many is it? Where do you want me to go, Lord? Because it can be more than one place. Sometimes I think we think God does one thing at a time, but he's doing millions of things. Look around the room. Whose life is God working in, in the room? Put your hand up. Go for it. You with hands up. Is he only doing one thing in your life? Or is he doing many things? Across the room, guys. Across the room. So I say that to to say onto this point. Is that when you meet Jesus and you want to connect with him, his response is found here in verse 32 and verse 34. It's one of compassion. He says, it says, when Jesus landed and saw the crowd, he was like, can we just not get a rest? Like, this is insane. Back it up. Let's go. Let's go on the other side. Do you know, do you know how they knew where they were landing? This is like total Bible nerd stuff. They knew where they were going because when they went in the boats and they left the shore, they didn't go far enough so that the crowd couldn't see them. They were close enough to the shore so that the crowd could recognize them. And when the crowd recognized them, they texted their friends and put it on Instagram and said, guys, you remember, those, remember that thing that was happening there that went viral? It's about to happen again. We can see where they're going. Invite your friends. Isn't that so intentional of Jesus? No, no, don't go too far from shore. I like just a little bit closer. This is perfect. Let's remain here. And everybody saw when they got there. And Jesus had an intention to meet a crowd. And when he saw them, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Say compassion. Do you know the first time God's character is revealed? I think it's here. I may be mistaken. I'm happy to admit it. But here in Exodus 34... What's just happened is God has taken his people, Israel. You know why God chose a nation, right? It's not because he so much favored them and he didn't like the others. It was because he had an intention of that nation influencing the other nations and them seeing what he's really like. The same as you in the room. God doesn't love you more than everybody outside this room and in Dubai. Did you know that? He loves you as much and he wants them to know him through you so that they can get into that relationship. So God brings them out of Egypt, his people, And the first thing he does is he makes a covenant with them. And he says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. Say thousands. Say thousands. Say that's a lot. Forgiving inequity and transgression and sin. But 
who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children and their children's children to the third and the fourth. And I could have left that verse out, but I thought, no, Ryan, you better read that because that's part of who God is. He forgives to the thousands, but he's a God of justice. And people will answer. And how's that? To the generation, to the, it says to fathers of, to um, visiting the inequity of fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What's third and fourth compared to thousands? And it's talking about people who are deliberately against him. Because if you war against God, you will lose. But if you're part of those thousands who have come to him with a humble heart, man, you will meet him as merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Amen. So Jesus says, he has compassion. They are like sheep without a shepherd. And that statement comes back from Numbers 27, where in, in Exodus 34, that's where Moses is leading the people out. By Numbers 27, that's where Moses is about to hand over the leadership, and he's handing it over to Joshua. And Joshua is kind of like a figurative Jesus of the Old Testament. And Joshua is about to take people into the promised land. So when Jesus says this, hey guys, these are like sheep without a shepherd, they would know exactly. They would have gone ping, Numbers 27. He's talking about when Moses was handing over to Joshua. Joshua is about to be the one who will love and bring them through into the promise. Why did he just say that? Because he's doing that. Because he's saying all this foreshadowing is what I'm about to do. And he didn't stop doing it. He's still doing it in this room today. He wants to take you into the promise. He wants to take you into more of him. He wants to make sure that the things of heaven are happening through you where you are right now. Not where you will be. Not once you've made it. Not once I get there, I'm in God's will. No, no. Right now, where you are, God wants to make the things of heaven your reality so that those around you will be affected. Amen? And further on in Ezekiel 34, there's a prophetic promise that there will be one who comes. There will be a shepherd who comes who will feed God's people. And Mark is telling us here in the scripture that Jesus is doing that. By his teaching, he's doing it spiritually. And well, he's going to go overboard and he might as well do it in the physical as well. I want to make this, um, this point. Is I know someone did pray at prayer meeting. I think it was you, Jaya, where Jesus is the bread of life. And my first thought was like, oh, did I miss it, Lord? I'm preaching about the feeding the 5,000 and you fed them with bread. Oh, man, I missed it. Bread of life. Oh. I don't have enough time to go and research that. What am I going to do? And immediately I felt God say, no, 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 this morning, that is right and that is good. Jai, you're on it. This morning I want to be who I said I am, the good shepherd. Are there any farmers in the, in the, in the room? Any shepherds? One. Really? Jay, you didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not asking because I'm about to say something that I'm not sure about. But I, I, why, are we, why are we compared to sheep? Are sheep intelligent animals? No. Come on, be honest. No. You've been compared to a sheep, so am I. Is that an intelligent animal? No. Not specifically. But the thing that it requires is the greatest thing that we require that brings it into the most flourishing is a shepherd. A sheep moves into the best part of its life when it's being looked after by a shepherd. It's being cared for by a shepherd. It's being prodded and moved. And Jesus says in John chapter 10, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
I know my own and my own know me. I'm the good shepherd. And there's, a, there's an incredible challenge. So we're talking about connecting with Jesus. We're talking about that connection is the most important thing. And when we come to him to connect, his response is usually compassion because that's who he is. And I can't help but feel like there is an actual challenge when we start to have a conversation with him because who he is makes us want to be like him. And the challenge is interesting. It's this, that the son knows the father and he knows the father's will. The sheep in the same way need to know Jesus and be faithful to Jesus' will. And that speaks about Jesus having a very unique relationship with the Father and you having a very unique relationship with Jesus. And I say that it's a challenge because that word know, I didn't know that, that it was a word that I've been looking at for the past two weeks. I, I started reading a book, um, which I'm halfway through now, about intimacy. No, there's nothing wrong with my marriage. Right? When I say intimacy, what comes to mind? You think like marriage, right? And you think the physical side to marriage. Yes? Come on, nod your head. Give me like, am I, is that right? <laughs> Come on. Okay. For you, Clint, we'll do marriage counseling after. <laughs> that is the word intimacy. When we hear the word intimacy, we immediately think of, of something physical. But do you know the simplest meaning to the word intimacy Blew my mind, and it, my wife was, when I was telling Lauren, we were talking about it, she was like, that's what I'm talking about. It's shared experiences. So where it says here that I'm the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me. I share experiences with my own, and they share experiences with me. Is that profound? Come on, then at least go, ooh, or something. <laughs> You're looking at me blank, but I can't see because you've got masks on. I know my own. I share experiences with them, and they share experiences with me. And I started to think, wow, God, I feel, like, I feel like the only way I do that is if I try to do it religiously. And we prayed for that spirit of religion to go, didn't we, this morning? Is that I, It has to happen in a certain way for me to share experiences with God. It has to happen in a certain way. And the reason why I've, I've said that I've actually been spending time on this is because the thing of intimacy, I, this week I was driving in the car with another man and we were going to the shop to buy stuff. And I said to him, this is intimacy. <laughs> <laughs> and, but there was a conversation. So it's not, I didn't just say that. We weren't just talking about like sport. And then I went, this is intimate. <laughs> That's not what was happening. We were having a conversation. I said, this is intimacy. That you and I are sharing an experience and we're getting to know each other. Right? Isn't that right? That's right. You and I are sharing experience. So where in our lives can we share an experience with Jesus or can we, he share an experience with us? I was like, that changes my thinking. That changes my thinking when I walk out the door, when I interact with people, and when I don't interact with people. At what stage, Jesus, can I say, I need you to be part of this experience? I know every minute of every day, but that's, we're human. That's not easy. But Jesus teaches us the crux. Jesus teaches us how to be human. Jesus, would you come and share this experience with me? Or if you're alone or going for a walk, Jesus, I want to share an experience with you. Do you want to say something to me right now? Amen?